0: Hello. Hey. You're listening to Peninsula Obscura. I'm Karina
1: Kolb. And I'm Rachel Peacock.
0: This is a podcast about the strange and unusual state of Florida.
1: We'll talk about Florida's weird history, paranormal activity, and of course, true crime.
0: Each week, one of us researches a topic, and then we talk about it in depth.
1: Let's dive in. Hey. Hi. Hi yo. Hey, hey, hey.
0: <laughs> it's Friday. Happy Friday once again. Yeah.
1: Yes, it is Friday. We do get to celebrate that on this podcast every episode.
0: <laughs> every every single episode. Yeah.
1: It's always Friday. <laughs> um yeah, we uh we have a consistency. Kind of. <laughs> um, We're Hopefully, trying. hopefully if uh, you're keeping up with all the things happening in the world and the fact that things are changing, um, a reminder that today the episode is coming out on Juneteenth. And if you don't know what that holiday is, you should look it up. Google it. <laughs> <laughs> Google it, because I'm not going to do that work for you. You people need to do that. Um, anyways, uh, we are talking about um, pivotal moments in Florida's historical book. Love it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> today's topic uh, definitely has to deal with one of those historical moments, uh, especially one that has been dismissed, kind of overlooked and ignored. Uh, just because, you know, I don't I don't think I knew about this story to the extent that now I do, and you guys will too. <laughs> um, I didn't get the full history. Um, and that's something I'm gonna help help get everyone back up to speed on today not completely because i know that i'm i'm just a storyteller i'm not a i'm not this isn't coming from i'm not a historian this is just stuff that i've researched and what Corinne and i research um we just we're just yeah. we're just saying it so anyways here we go um going off of that uh I think that most people perceive Florida as a destination. Um, We talk about this all the time. Uh, Vacationers are here. Uh, They want fun and they want sun. Yeah, we have a major
0: (laughs) tourism industry, which is one of the reasons that the state opened back up for COVID-19 so early because our tourism industry, we're so dependent on tourists. uh Mm -hmm. It's not a good thing,
1: but. No, it's like, it, it's good that the economy is probably have been helped a little bit, but also bad because we're probably going to have to shut down again. But who knows? Who knows what the future will have for the state of Florida and for the U.S. But um, yeah.
0: But yeah, Florida is a tourist destination.
1: Yep. and Without a doubt. Yeah, so. Speaking to that, all these tourists, when they come here, they don't want to hear about depressing shit. <laughs> um, if you want to learn anything about Florida, you have to understand that it's not all oranges and beach days. Uh, Florida is much more than great weather and five o'clock sunwares. Absolutely. Uh- visitors and even locals tend to miss so many of the dark lessons and tribulations of Florida's past. Florida's history offers countless lessons on deceit, racism, murder, governmental control over land, and of course, violence and white power. (laughs) I'm not laughing at that, but that was a sarcastic laugh. Yeah. (laughs) Um yeah, so these are just a few of the few uh, <laughs> these are just a few of the gritty topics that thread themselves all over the theoretical tapestry of Florida. And I think it's important to educate ourselves on these dark topics. Today, we will be talking about the ghost of Osceola. And before you say it, <laughs> how is a ghost story going to tell me about Florida's ignored past (laughs) and so just you wait I've got a whole episode to inform you I'm excited the ghosts of Florida past yes yes the irony Um, before we actually get into the story I'd like to give you a little insight into one of the reasons why I chose to tell this episode or chose this theme for this episode Um, first of all, shout out to one of my childhood best friends, Bay. Her, it's not B-A-E, it's B-A-Y-E. Sorry, have to say it because people are going to be like, you're Bay. Yes, my (laughs) Bay, but one of my best friends. (laughs) Um, she was the one who suggested this topic. And it's funny because we actually learned about the ghost of Osceola, um, at the same time, way back in 2004. Mm. So, um. Our elementary school had a yearly trip planned for fourth graders, and it was the event of the year, let me just say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was the infamous St. Augustine trip, Mm. and if you were there, you know what I'm talking about, but for those of you who weren't, um, here's the gist. Picture this. Two buses of Riley fourth graders traveling up the coast of Florida for their first overnight trip ever. (laughs) Ooh. Yeah. So why are we taking these fourth graders on this long journey? Uh, To visit Cape Canaveral, of course, and St. Augustine to learn about Florida history. Uh, Did you, just sorry to interrupt, but
0: did you guys sleep over at Cape Canaveral?
1: i don't remember but i think we i think we did cape canaveral i don't know if it was before or after i just know that we did it (laughs) okay
0: because i just i didn't know if this was a universal florida school thing or because also when i was in fourth grade we also went to cape canaveral but we did like a lock-in and we slept under the
1: space shuttle thing oh no we didn't do that that's so cool it was really dope (laughs) now i see what you mean no (laughs) no We did not get to sleep under the shuttles. We did the tour. I remember eating space ice cream. You got to have the space that's ice about cream. <laughs> it. Yeah. All right, all right. Proceed, proceed. Yeah. No, no worries. Um that's I knew that you were probably had a field trip to some Florida places. I just didn't know if you had so you've been to Cape Canaveral, but ha, did okay. you go on a trip to St. Augustine?
0: Um not as a school. Not as a school. Wow. I wow. don't know why. Okay.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I started researching this topic and I realized how actually I learned pretty much nothing on this trip (laughs) because I was only 10 years old, but, uh, here is kind of what I remember doing on that trip. Um, we rode the bus for what felt like a hundred hours to eat some weird, (laughs) eat at some weird buffet. I I don't know why I remember that. Uh, I'm pretty sure we watched Shrek, (laughs) on our bus ride (laughs) we stayed in a hotel that was kind of not that nice but it had continental breakfast (laughs) um we explored the castillo de san marcos um it which is for those of you who don't know america's oldest masonry fort which is amazing and you should go visit it's in St. Augustine. It's like you can't go anywhere without hearing about it. <laughs> yeah, it's the big fort. It's the huge fort in St. So St. many years of history um, and just layers of stories on that, and we'll, we'll go back to it a little bit. Um, so also we visited the Fountain of Youth, which uh, I don't know if y'all have heard about it, but um, just know that the fountain itself – um it's probably a waste of money and my 10 year old self knew that (laughs) uh the water it's doesn't like it's a touristy trap thing but the the water smells like rotten eggs i was gonna say it's like really sulfuric right yep it's it's, yep it's it's... sulfur in the water yeah it's nasty and then uh we got to go shopping for knickknacks and i just remember they have a a pretty good gift shop and then we might have to talk about the fountain of youth in another episode um <laughs> we haven't really got in it gotten into Spa- spanish conquistadores um history yeah. but yeah it's you know, a whole nother there's so many <laughs> layers there's all these layers and the florida onion uh <laughs> Um, and yeah, so we ended our day with one of the most surprising and actually mega popular educational programs in St. Augustine, and it was a ghost tour. Ooh. Shocking, right? I feel like it's a little shocking. a 10-year-olds bringing a bunch of 10-year-olds on a ghost tour. A little, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I went on a,
0: we did a class trip, trip with a ghost tour okay. uh, in fifth grade.
1: Okay. Yeah, she was so, a little older. A little older. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't really remember much from that ghost store other than some parents opted out. Um, really? They were, yeah, well they were like, Yeah, no, my kid's not gonna have nightmares for months. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's
0: that's really fun. That's a that's a different kind of parent. I feel like my dad would be that kind of parent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My parents were the ones who probably blindly signed the permission slip and they were like, so, yeah, Oh, yeah, have just, fun. just fucking go, whatever, you'll be fine. <laughs> yep. And uh yeah, so this entailed us walking around Saint Augustine at night, uh, with a guide and our eyes were wide and our senses on high alert as we lit our hopes of seeing a ghost in action. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, we did not see a ghost. Um, However, there is one detail from the stories told on the tour that has stuck with me ever since that frightful day as a fourth grade tourist. I can't recall the year or time period or pretty much anything other than this excerpt, but just know that there was a doctor who lived in St. Augustine. He was a bit of a creep in that he allegedly kept a severed head, severed head of a man named Osceola in a jar. Oh my God. As the legend would tell, the doctor would place the jar on his children's bedposts in order to prevent them from misbehaving. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> And it has been many, many, many years after the death of Osceola, but people still believe that the headless corpse of Osceola is said to haunt the Spanish fort. Um. Yeah. So dark tale for a ten-year-old, <laughs> and no wonder I held on to that. Um. That was one of the facts that I remembered, and you know why? Cause it's pretty, pretty uh, traumatizing.
0: Yeah, it's definitely disturbing. It's visiting an evil, uh, like a mad scientist doctor who also wanted to
1: psychologically abuse his children. Yeah. (laughs) That's very scary. It is very scary. It's kind of, um, I don't know. And it's funny that they just tell kids and it almost is repeating that action and telling kids the spooky story of like the... You know, these kids had to deal with it actually being on their bedpost, but now we know to behave as such as we don't want our parents to do that to us. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, now that I'm an adult, I can better educate myself and you guys on the story and the hidden history behind it.
0: Um, yeah, because it does it does open up a lot of questions like, first of all, where the fuck did he get someone's severed head? <laughs> yep. <laughs>
1: yes uh why is this white man keeping his head or osceola's head in a jar who is osceola what happened to him how did he die these are questions that i'm going to answer (laughs) um okay so like the way that many things started in the u.s white people decided they wanted land and did what they felt necessary to do so including, but not limited to, murder and treachery. (laughs) (laughs) There is a lot of history to get through, so let's start from the beginning. In the year of 1804, a baby boy was born in a small village located in present-day Tallahassee. I'm going to mess it up because I want to say Tallahassee, but it's Tallahassee, Alabama. So we're not in Florida yet. We're going back. Uh, For those of you who don't know, um, this area was occupied by Creek Indians, and this name Creek refers to the tribe of indigenous peoples of the southeastern woodlands. They originally resided in southern Alabama, western Georgia, and northern Florida. They are also referred to as Muscogee. I think I'm saying that right. I could be butchering it, but anyways. Over 200 years ago, things were not so great in the South, obviously, but Mm -hmm. I think that uh, it is important to share a little bit about the historical background of the Creeks without going into too much detail, because it is a lot. (laughs) During the 18th and 19th century, the Creek Indians have a very strong trade relation with British colonies and... With that came lots of adaptations to their way of life. The Creeks had their own um, integrated way um, of living, and it was pretty much kind of went hand in hand with the Southern economy. Their communities had a mixture of all races, and much of them, uh, much of which, the reason is because they were one of the few indigenous tribes to adopt the practice of slavery. Mm, mm-hmm. I've heard yes. of that. Yeah. And um, that basically
0: gave them like, quote unquote, legitimacy, economic legitimacy in the
1: South because they
0: were exactly. able to own, own enslaved people.
1: Exactly. Um, I am not an expert in this topic, <laughs> Obviously. Um, but I did some reading and this is what I found. That, and the type of slavery that the Creek clans took part in was quite different from the traditional um, Southern way of slavery. Um, to draw from an article titled Creek Indians, Blacks, and Slavery from the Journal of Southern History by Catherine E. Holland, quote, to be sex- successful, let me say that again. <laughs> Sorry. Quote, to be successful in the Old South, an Indian had to become a white person. Those who refused to do so were either removed, exterminated, or enslaved. End quote. So pretty much what, Karina, you said earlier. It's its a matter of keeping your livelihood. Your right. Body. I mean, It's a matter adapting, of life adapting. or death, basically. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, that's
0: that's just colonization at its finest. That's how... You know, that's how it would work.
1: Uh Uh-huh. And uh, there is much that influenced why um, the Creek began owning slaves, but just know that um, George Washington created a policy to civilize Native Americans. Um, This essentially stemmed from the idea that teaching Indians how to live like the white Americans and embrace Christianity would be would allow them to be better accepted by the white Americans, which is, a fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I've definitely, I've
0: read about, you know, Native American children being more or less abducted and forced to go to white schools and forced to cut their hair and basically assimilate. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Colonization. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh.
1: um, to really emphasize what that plan for George Washington had, um, it's he had six points, including uh, having impartial justice towards Indians, regulating the buying of Indian lands, promoting both commerce and experiments to pr- improve Indian society, presidential gifting privileges, and punishment for those who violated Indian rights, which actually sounds like half of it is like, no, that's fucked up. But it, I think in if you pull back a little bit, I guess they were thinking they were going to like fix and help these people, which a lot of the times that's what happens is white people think they can fix people because right. their culture is not the same. Right. But um, it honestly was a little bit uh, better than even the treatment of slaves, obviously, because the Creeks ended up having slaves themselves. But um, slavery for the Creeks was, um, like I said, different because it was more not like an indentured servant, but um, they were pretty much a little better to their slaves and gave them more life style than um traditional southern slave owners i guess you would say so anyways i don't want to get more into that um that's just the yeah. background that's the backdrop
0: of this that's story. the
1: backdrop this is a backdrop um the essentially the creeks were taking on a new way of living and these strategies they adopted helped stabilize themselves as powerful deer skin traders so a lot of their Economy was based in deer skin trading and trading amongst um, the uh, Europeans and the uh, specifically uh, like the British and um, at this time also Florida was owned by Spain, so I'm sure they did some trading with them. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's just this is the economic background behind what's happening. Anyways. Now, where were we? Uh, there was a young boy born into this multiracial community of the Creeks in 1904. So, this boy named Billy Powell had a, his mother. Um, he, she was mixed race, so she was, but Creek Indian um, was in there. So that is very important to know. And his father was likely a Scottish trader by the name of William Powell. Mm. Um, so this made Billy a descendant of black slaves creek indians and as well as he was also the great grandchild of james mcqueen another known uh, scotsman trader so i just thought that that was something that i didn't even think of when i was um learning in my schooling like i didn't even know that um this kind of community was happening right um you know i didn't know about how The Creek culture worked. I'll give you a little more insight into that in a second. But the fact that uh, Billy Powell was mixed was not an issue for the Creeks. Essentially, any baby born to a Creek mother was not judged on their race and accepted equally into the clan of the Creek, which is pretty cool um, for the Times. (laughs) Um, Here's another quote. uh, uh, It's a statement from the Journal of Southern History. I already referenced um it kind of affirms that idea it says quote the the child of a creek woman was always creek regardless race or nationality of the father so uh billy powell and his mother resided in alabama so they're living they're in that culture um, until about 1814 and this was around the time that the Red Stick War ended. And essentially, that war um, was a civil war among the Muskegee Nation. Uh, one side, the Red Sticks, allied with the British pre- and in preventing white people from encroaching on the Creek lands. I guess it's a white American people. And the other side wanted to keep peace with the white people. So they just wanted to continue their. Um, they had relations with the surrounding plantations and that kind of thing, and they would, um, it's messed up, but sometimes to if they weren't doing so well, if it was like the deer um, skin business wasn't doing so well, they would work with like the surrounding slave um, holding people. If slaves escaped and they caught them, sometimes they would return them back, which is kind of messed up, but sometimes they would keep them within their uh their their community so it's it's a whole thing you should read up on it because i don't want to keep talking about it because we're not even florida right now but <laughs> it uh, sounds yeah. very sounds very complex yes but it's, ultimately it's, a civil ulti- war
0: between two yes factions of the same tribe
1: exactly so i yes so there were battles and massacres with this um this war and it kind of all ended with the Battle of Horseshoe Bend, which I don't know if you've heard of, but Andrew Jackson's Tennessee militia was backed with the 39th U.S. Infantry Regiment, the Cherokee and the Lower Creek Indians, um, and they defeated the Red Sticks, which were mostly the North, um, northern Creek Indians. So I'm telling you this because this is the reason why Billy and his mother l- fled to Florida Gotcha. So, yes. So, like, land is essentially um, surrendered. Um, so, about 20 million acres of the Creek tribe's land is surrendered to the U.S., which is crazy um, after this battle. And, um, yeah, finally, we're back in Florida. This is where Billy Powell and his mother join the Seminole. Um, they're another. Uh, nation in Florida everybody knows about them Um, the next thing that happens is uh, Billy and his mother join the Seminole tribe and when you reach adulthood you are given a name and Billy Powell was given a name uh, that essentially means black drink shouter which is something about Holly T and him laughing or something. I don't know the whole thing about it, but essentially his name is Osceola. <laughs> so gotcha. Billy Powell has so become the name, Osceola. the name
0: Billy was, uh, was his name previously or is...
1: Before so Osceola, his, he was called yes, Billy. Yes, yeah. So Billy Powell, I think they they name them uh, him at birth because that was his father. It's kind of oh, I see. His dad was William Powell. Oh, okay, um, I see. And then I guess when you come of age, you are given a new name, and I guess it's depending on your personality or something right. that happens to you. That's when you're named. Um, I think it has something to do with uh, being a warrior as well. Um, but not always, because I think f- females were also named. Anyways, <laughs> uh, don't don't count me on that, because I, like I said, I'm not an expert. That's not
0: what you just did research on, so don't worry about it. Just I'm just yes. clarifying in my
1: head. So this <laughs> okay, is... Okay, cool. Yes.
0: So Osceola.
1: Osceola. Um, he's got a new name, and he's got a new life in Florida. Um, he ends up having two wives, which I guess wasn't that um crazy back then um one of them actually was an african-american woman named chichoter i think i'm butchering Mm. that too but you know give me a break um this she's also named morning dew which i thought was a beautiful name um he was the father to five known children i i think he had five children um like i said records back then are kind of sketchy uh (laughs) (laughs) um and this was over his lifetime so i'm just letting you know he has two wives he's got a family um and he just
0: they he basically flourishes as a part of the seminole tribe
1: yes the seminoles um pretty much um were cool with it they were very much letting a lot of the people that were displaced to come into their community and I think some of it has to do with like marriage and that kind of thing but yes um let's flash to 1821 so he's living his life becoming a warrior um up until this year I said this earlier but Spain is controlled by Florida and the U.S. acquired Florida lands in 1812 and that is when many people started flocking to Florida to settle the land. Um this in turn caused some big issues within the Native American communities. Settlers wanted the Seminole out of Florida so they could have their own farms. And you know, this is what they want. This is what I want. My land. Um so anyways, uh the uh So
0: basically, uh, okay, just to <laughs> clarify, so the government sold land that they did not own to white people. White people showed up and said, "Oh, I own this land," but people were already living there, who had lived there for centuries. Pretty they much, They said, "No, I own it because the government yep. told me I did."
1: Yeah, you need to was, leave. Yes. <laughs> so in a sense, in a sense, yes, this is uh, this is what's happening. People are getting angry. Um, the government is drawn into this, and they. Uh, make a treaty. So the Treaty of Payne's Landing was written up in 1832. Uh, It is stated that the Seminoles would give up land, Florida land, and in return receive a reservation in the center of Florida. And this included 20 years of service payments and supplies courtesy of the U.S. government. So now you're going to take it, right? We're going to, we're going to sign that treaty right guys no <laughs> sounds uh, like a, some <laughs> sounds like a pretty bad deal not gonna lie <laughs> a very bad deal uh, uh surprisingly i mean I, it, it's not that surprising because some people were probably like we have no way out of this um but uh some of the Seminole chief chiefs obliged by signing it and uh and that was cool, I guess, for the government. But five of the prominent Seminole chiefs did not agree mm-hmm. to be removed from their lands. That they, this is our land. Like you're not taking it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I that was not me speaking. That was them.
0: <laughs> no, I get it.
1: It's yeah. You got
0: it, you got. It, you got it. It's a nuts um,
1: proposition. Hey,
0: you know you know where you live how about don't live there? We'll give you this little area instead and you can live there instead. Like yes. what the fuck? It's, um, it's, it's very bad. Um, yeah. And I also wonder if the uh, initial people who signed got, um, you know, got an IRB if they were, did they, was it informed consent is my point. What yeah, was, it, true. did they know
1: fully what they were signing? Was it informed or was it coerced? I know. I know. Who knows? Um, I did want to indicate here. This is a little fun fact that one of those five prominent Seminole chiefs was Micanopee of the Alachua Seminole, which is wow. a, a, yeah, right near where Karina and I are. Um, now here's a fun legend that I have to talk about because Osceola is now a leader. Um, he is a warrior. He's not one of the a chief necessarily because I think he. I don't even know if he can be a chief because he was pretty much absorbed into the Seminole tribe. But he himself drove a dagger through the treaty in defiance of this offer, which is pretty dope to talk about. Right. <laughs> so he's just like angry about it. Um there's a statue of Osceola just doing that. So he's driving the dagger into the treaty at Silver Springs, Florida. Um unfortunately it's a legend um it seems to be a myth and that there are little to no facts pointing to it actually happening but i like to hold on to it because that seems very cinematic the
0: spirit <laughs> the spirit of the story is, spirit, is yes. maybe he drove a figurative dagger
1: exactly yeah. yes um so osceola um, he's a warrior and a seminal leader of, of 250 warriors. Um, and he himself had his own ideas of resentment for all of this happening and all of the people that were trying to steal his land. Um, he, it is said that he, I mean, he already went through this essentially in, um, when he left um, the creek. Uh, they had to give up their land and they had to move. And it's just happening all over again. Um, this is what um, this is some of the ideals that he held apparently Um, he was against enslavement of free people he loved Florida's lands and opposed giving up Seminole lands to the settlers he worked to keep the Seminole people on their lands Uh, obviously he's a warrior he's gonna do warrior things Um, also there's indication that he stabbed another Seminole which I can't find more info about but I don't I don't know if he was a traitor or something, but he seems to be, like, kind of a badass. Great. Um, Aside from resentment, he worked with others peacefully as well. Uh, Osceola was a friend to some on the opposing side, uh, including a lieutenant, John Graham, who possibly helped Osceola learn English, and um, John Graham apparently gave Osceola daughters dress so they were kind of making a relationship where they were talking to each other as people and not just necessarily um enemies you know Mm -hmm. um and then as a gift in return osceola gave lieutenant john graham a white plume so a big feather um that may have been used for peace talks in the later years anyways uh Back to the treaty. There are, of course, lots of people outraged, um, when the chiefs did not sign the treaty, and this is when a man named Wiley Tom Thompson comes into the picture, and you were talking a little earlier about how these smaller Indian chiefs, um, possibly were coerced into signing it, um, and I don't know if this has to do with U.S. Indian agents, but, um, yeah, these are people hired from the government to essentially work out deals with the Indian people. Yes. So, um, yeah. So Wiley Thompson, Indian agent, comes in. So I'm sorry. So
0: somebody a a Native American person who was hired by
1: the government. No, 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 no. No, no. a white a white person. It's it's yeah, it's a white person. It's okay. essentially someone it's like a soldier probably I don't know, worked did, did some time in the war or whatever and they become a US agent. Um, and essentially there's like a US Indian agent um, that That's what they goes, were called. Yes, they they're, they're kind of like I, I don't want to get too into it, but um yeah. <laughs> okay, I was just uh, just clarify. clarify. Got it. No. So cool. his job yes, was to so, is to
0: be a liaison
1: liaison kind of a liaison but also controlling Mm, mm -hmm, okay (laughs) um doing whatever deemed necessary by Mm. this um the higher-ups um this guy wiley thompson um he is tasked with um doing this job and of course when the treaty dropped and nobody signed it or I guess not everybody signed it um he reacted by declaring that the Seminole chiefs be brought down um he forbid the Seminoles to be even sold guns or ammunition so he's like trying to take power away from them slowly Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and Osceola did not like these judgments at all Um, Wiley Thompson tried to become friendly with Osceola because Osceola would just bust into his office and start complaining to him. Um, And (laughs) another way that uh, Wiley tried to get Osceola to comply is giving him a rifle as a gift. Um, Now, this gift never completely resolved the issues between the two. It sounds like they kind of would like joke with each other, but also like not like every joke has a truth so i'm sure osceola was like yo you're just not gonna take our land. and like wiley's like yes yes we are uh so <laughs> <laughs> um one night there was an instance where these two got into a fight um wiley thompson retaliated and put osceola in jail at at Fort King which is actually in Ocala for about two nights and Osceola agreed to sign the treaty and let's just say Osceola was not happy about it so he like agreed so that he would let him out and whatever
0: okay so I see
1: so he was coerced he's coerced by yeah by basically if you don't sign this you're in prison yep (laughs) uh angered by this utterly cruel response by Wiley Thompson. Osceola went back to Fort King on December 28th, 1835. Um, And this is where he and his followers proceeded to kill six officers outside of Fort King. And then Osceola himself shot and killed Wiley Thompson with the same gun he had gifted him. So that's pretty crazy.
0: (laughs) That's that's really dope. So basically... This guy, Wiley Thompson, sounds like he was a cocky, Mm -hmm. um, overconfident asshole who had no respect for the intelligence of the Native Americans around him and just thought that they could be bought by gifts and tricked into doing shit. And uh, he paid his price. I like that story. That's a good story.
1: (laughs) It didn't work out so well, did it? (laughs) Mm -mm. Um, yes. So, uh, like, like you are, Karina, you're, you're like, I like that story. This, um, this was something that a lot of people liked. Um, and Osceola, his name kind of went down in history because of it. People were applauding him for the actions he took because uh, most people were like, why do we have to have these Florida wars? Why can't we just, like, have people move elsewhere um you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) right
0: why are we trying to settle land that people already live on exactly that kind of question
1: Um, yes yes very much so um at the same time a different group of seminal warriors so at the same time this um this whole all this shit goes down at fort king Uh, a a different group of Seminole warriors went on an ambush and killed more than 100 U.S. military men, leaving only four men alive. Kaboom, (laughs) kaboom. This sparked the second Seminole war. Um, There was war leading up to this, kind of involving all the stuff that I've already talked about, but you can go look that up. I'm only doing stuff that relates to Osceola. Um, It's
0: interesting, like, I I know, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but... We never learned about this in Florida history. We never, I never learned about Seminole War, like yep. that there was any war in the yeah. state. And I think that perhaps you're not taught that because if you hear that story, it, I would say it's impossible not to empathize with the people who are being colonized instead of yep. the literal invaders. You're so so no one wants to teach it because you're like immediately are going to empathize with the people who are having their homes taken away from them. Exactly. Um, but the bad guys win, and now we're all yep.
1: here. <laughs> now we're here, and it's the past, and I guess all we can do is uh, learn from it. <laughs> Sucks. Um, yeah, so any, anyways, I've been saying anyways, all this episode. Um, battles between the Seminoles and the U.S. troops during the Second Seminole War happened for about two years, and... Uh, there was some, not complications, but this kind of made it difficult to win. Um, There was a strategic attack from the U.S., um, and there were dwindling numbers in both warriors and ammunition. So by the end of those two years, the outlook on the Seminoles' potential to win was diminished Mm -hmm. um that of course was around the time that oc osceola had contracted a case of chronic malaria Mm. so um he's fighting all during this time and they're working towards trying to save the land that was theirs um and yeah of course osceola gets sick um Uh, There was a moment where uh, Osceola and 81 of his men decided to meet with soldiers to talk peace, which was actually happening quite often. Um, So this peace talk happened near St. Augustine, Florida, at Fort Marion. And despite having white flags up, the soldiers arrested all of the men and... This was under the order of General Thomas Jessup. So it was a true betrayal. So they had white flags up. They were trying to talk peace and trying to work out a deal. And essentially, they were like, "Uh, fuck you guys, (laughs) you're going to jail. And this land is our land. This land is my land. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. that's, yeah. Sounds about right. This, uh, This act is actually... Described in history as one of the most disgraceful acts in middle military history, right? Because they're not A- playing by yeah. the they're not playing by the rules that they
0: set. Even they're not exactly. even playing by their own rules.
1: They're, yeah, they're not playing by military standards. You know. Um, yeah. Alas, Osceola now ac- accompanied his followers. Um, They were imprisoned at Fort Marion, a.k.a. the Castillo de San Marcos. So they were imprisoned there. And this is an impenetrable fortress. So for many years, everyone has talked about it. This fortress, like nobody's getting or people are getting in, but they ain't getting out. (laughs) Um, So with that detail, I have to include here that there are two people that were captured in this group along with Osceola. And the names of these two men were um, John Horse, who was a black Seminole leader, translator. Actually, I think he was a translator for Osceola at one point. Um, and another man named Wildcat, um, Koa Chi. Um, I'm going to butcher that too, but he was the son of the Miccosukee chief king, um, which is down in the Everglades, if y'all haven't heard about that. Um, so, yeah, they were, um, able to escape, um, oh. to Fort M- Marion. Yeah. They escaped. So these, so these two guys escaped <laughs> at the impenetrable fortress because that was, like, a very significant point in history, um, just knowing that they escaped, um, people were mind-boggled by it, um. Do, do you know yeah. how? Does anyone know how? I think they, I think they just, uh, they, uh busted out the bar windows wherever they were being held and they like climbed out and they scaled down the side of the wall and they got out. Um, I don't know that much more about it. Um, but both of these people have super interesting stories and you should look them up thinking maybe we'll do a future episode, but we'll see. Keeping them on the list. (laughs) And so back to Osceola and despite what you would think, um, all of these Seminoles who were captured at this instance were only imprisoned at Fort Marion f- from October through December. Um, at this time, at the end of this time, so like the end of December, they were moved to Fort Moultrie in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, Osceola was very ill and dying, even on the trip, mm. Um the malaria and now he had tonsillitis which had contributed to a large abscess abscess on his in his throat um I think it's called Quincy is but yeah he's having a rough time um and this is kind of we're kind of wrapping up our story here but um what happened was he got there and while awaiting his last days in South Carolina, Osceola was visited by three portraitists, W.M. Lang, Robert John Curtis, and the most famous of the three, George Catlin. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, Karina, but anyways, he is pretty cool. No, I don't think so. Um, he all of them persuaded osceola to have his portrait painted which is pretty significant i think george catlin has painted a lot of portraits of indigenous people which is very important because if you look back in history a lot of the time art is only white people so yeah no um, no that
0: is that's like in art history super significant because it's like the reason it's just a big part of erasure like famous people who get their portraits taken or have photographs of them yes pay to have that done you know it's Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's something that you can only get done if you have a certain amount of privilege and otherwise you you don't even have an idea of what they look like so that kind of contribution in the art world is really cool and artists who were doing it back then it's it's meaningful for sure. He clearly knew it was meaningful when he did it. Yes,
1: yes, it's very cool. Um, even though this part of the story is pretty is is sad, um, it's it's cool because the portrait portraits of this nature are pretty rare. Like Karina said, it's it's something that only rich people were able to take part in or pay for. So, um, just the fact that now later on we have these paintings of people that have stories um, that probably would have never been told if they didn't have these portraits taken. I mean, Osceola is definitely someone that would have been remembered without that, but it's, it's helpful to gain a picture of who this person was Mm -hmm. um, and all of the stories behind it just is like, it's like, gives so much more depth to the story, you know?
0: Definitely. Um,
1: And it's easier to teach, you know, you can be like, Hey, so, It's not just a story. Like here, he was a person. (laughs) Look at his painting. This is what he looked like. This is all of the things he went through. Um, I just think it's amazing. Here is something that I found in a Sun Centennial article. This is what George Catlin wrote about his experience talking with Osceola and the other Seminole captives that he painted at the fort. Quote, they had taken great pains to give me an account of the war and the mode in which they were captured, of which they complain bitterly. I am fully convinced, from all that I have seen and learned from the lips of the Osceola, uh, Lips of Osceola and from the chiefs who are around him, that he is is a most extraordinary man and one entitled to a better fate. So pretty. Pretty powerful stuff i can't even imagine i'm sure he was interviewing as he was painting um just getting these stories and as you're depicting them in painting is just like such a cool thing <laughs> yeah um uh so 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 um it was january 30th 1838 um when osceola died um, he knew he was fainting, so he signaled to his doctor to have chiefs and officers at his post join him. His wives dressed him. He shook hands with those around him, including his young daughters. And this is when he died with his scalping knife in one hand and his other laid over his heart. And, quote, in a, in a moment, smiled away his last breath without a struggle or a groan. Wow. Now, yeah, that quote came from his doctor, Um, and he, that doctor, also mentioned that those were all all the people around him cried as they grieved the death of a true warrior. So this is a very powerful um, something that (laughs) some of you might know because we've gone through the dates. But Osceola was only thirty three when he died. Oh my Um,
0: God
1: yeah um, he was actually buried in Charleston um, and on his marble grave it reads Patriot and Warrior. So people were celebrating him. Um, they knew what he had done. He was fighting for the land that um, his people owned and had and was just taken away from. Uh, so <laughs> he was fighting till the end. Um, and was he buried in Charleston? Uh, I guess because that's where they took them, right. took him to the fort and whatnot. Um, mm. So that's the story of Osceola, and it's the story I never really retained, or if I did get it, I never retained um, when I was in Saint Augustine many years ago. So I hope you liked it. But I want to remind everyone that um, at the beginning of this episode, I talked about the doctor. Um, no, that, yeah. So the doctor uh, that was actually the same doctor in Saint Augustine, um, Doctor Whedon, is the same guy. He actually is super fond of Osceola, I think. And it was more of like a. Ooh. It's still not right no. to me. Mm, no. Yeah. It's, I mean, no. you but- <laughs> can be. F-
0: you're fond of your pet. Yes. A exactly, human. But- <laughs> you do not. You do not yeah. take.
1: Yeah, I yeah. he's just like a real weirdo and a real nasty man. Um, this was his reasoning behind why this happened, but essentially he wanted to always remember Osceola and he removed Osceola's head before burial and that's when he put it in the jar. Yeah. And he mm-hmm. took it back to St. Augustine no, with we, him. we don't, it's we don't horrible. do that. It's we horrible. do not do that. I, he it's wanted horrible.
0: to rem like clearly this is somebody who has no regard for human life or or thinks of maybe Osceola as an something less than human because um no you if you want to remember if you if you actually uh, wanted to honor and remember this leader and warrior, you'll let him be laid to rest. In, exactly in his entirety know, you don't so take his up. head as a souvenir you know what i, I mean know, like I how well, about you just write a note in your journal about it and go the fuck
1: home like it's horrible what the fuck yeah, you know, this this is the messed up part uh so uh thank <laughs> god i don't think that the, the jar is not around anymore i read into it and i think it was in some sort of museum somewhere up north for a long time. This is so. like, a, this is a real problem with with like
0: colonial or science, colonizing science, basically. There are a lot of indigenous people whose remains are in museums still to this day.
1: And that's not and right. And that's
0: not right. They're not nope. specimens.
1: Yes. Um, I... No. I... I did see also that like of course like this was something that was not approved by his tribe that was not approved by his family like this is something so cruel that this weird ass doctor did um and i think it's wrong and it's messed up that that's all i remembered from the story and now i know more and how more much more fucked up it is yeah
0: <laughs> i like i i think that's a great place to start like with your ghost story because that story in itself mm-hmm. just being told does not um invite questions it just starts yep. with the premise of yeah this guy had this other dude's head in a jar and that's fine we're gonna go with that you know what i mean it doesn't say so but why did this crazy person have this head in a jar you know like yes that you know could add some depth to the story exactly certainly um if if osceola's ghost is i would imagine if ghosts exist he has a great reason to be um vengeful at this point (laughs) Exactly, so, and
1: I think that's something that they cling to in St. Augustine. I'm sure a lot of people do actually tell the real history behind what had happened to Osceola, and this is just one of those facts—more shocking facts—that might stick with people. Like, yeah, it's said. just it's been like me
0: simplified over time, and yes, but um, yeah, that's that's fucked up. That's crazy. Yeah, it's
1: it's very messed up. Um, but I'm glad that I was able to. At least tried to, to tell the story of Osceola and his life because he's more than just some head and some fuck ups. <laughs> yeah, doctors like absolutely. Place. It was essentially. It's nasty to think that this doctor was like, I, I need to remember this, and this is the only way that I can remember it. And I think there was some sort of that's just some else, something else going on because I. Now Osceola is known in the area. Osceola is kind of celebrated by a lot of people. He's kind of a celebrity at this time. Mm -hmm. And his demise is shitty, so I'm sure there was some draw to why he wanted the jar and like, oh, it was like a talking point. Like, oh man, I have this man's head in a jar. You want to absolutely, absolutely?
0: He said, "I can get away with this. No one can stop me. I'm a white doctor. I'm a I'm a dude." with more yeah. money and privilege and power than you, I'm going to cut off his head and take it. Fuck you guys. Bye. Now he's yeah, a sideshow. That's awful. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I, I I hope that I guy said- was
0: haunted to the end of his days.
1: <laughs> yes, I hope so too. And the fact that he used it against his children and then his children just probably learned it as being like, okay, like it's just like even worse. Um, <laughs> anyways. Yeah. I, I don't have this written in my notes, but I know that the... I said a little earlier it was somewhere upstate or up in the northern states somewhere but um I they think that the uh, the jar burned down in a fire in one of the mu- the museum that had it mm. so I don't even think it exists anymore. Mm-hmm. Um but anyways uh with that I would like to end this episode with something for us to think about. Um history is ugly, history is violent um and this is just one of the many stories that shows us the brutal truth. We kind of have to dig deeper than just these surface level ghost stories, you know? Um, even if everything kind of ends horribly, um, it's still information worth knowing. So yeah, well, that's my take.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it. it is. I think it's, I think it's important to put into context for, um, any non-Indigenous person who lives in the United States to think, no, you can't change the past. You can't change what happened, but you you need to acknowledge it. And absolutely, see, find out what you can do to, um, you know, help educate yeah, others to and to improve. Add, yes, improve. Uh, the lives of others. I mean, there are, there are still indigenous people in the state of Florida. They're not extinct. What do they need? Like, if you feel like if you hear the story and you feel overcome with your white guilt or whatever, because, oh, no, I'm living on stolen land. Yeah, that's you acknowledge that. But what can you do for the people who are here right now? Exactly.
1: Yeah, I love that. Um, It's very much about learning and listening and we've said this in past the last episode I think too is just trying to be better and not that anything's going to repair what happened in the past it's going to just we just have to come together find a way to help people that are here now in the present um, especially the indigenous people that <laughs> there's a whole other half of the story that goes on after the second Seminole or during the Seminole war after Osceola passed away. You should definitely look into that. Um, Look into the Creek Indians. I have, we have some resources on our website about um, that. I pulled from this, the article that I keep uh, talking about with the, the Creek Indians, blacks and slavery. Like if you didn't even know that this was going on, please read into that. Like, I say, go hog wild and learning new things. I always go on these deep trails of Wikipedia page to article to, you know, finding out new things. I'm constantly learning. We all should be constantly learning. And yeah, so one more thing I wanted to say is that there is a song, <laughs> and it's actually a bop, <laughs> but it's kind of weird because it's like a white guy singing about it um the seminal people but it's called seminal Wind by uh john anderson it's definitely worth a listen um he talks about um how the land was taken away and it goes a little more into how it's specifically about florida and how the land was used for agricultural purposes and ruined and mm. there's a statement in that song that says The ghost of osceola cries so it's like kind of weird but you know it's kind of a good song (laughs) because it could be worse it could be about other things but it's honestly about the nature of florida so you should listen to it i don't want to play it who was it
0: who 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 is it um
1: it's by john anderson country singer oh wow yeah i i listened to it when i started um when I started researching this episode last week, and I like have it on my liked playlist now because <laughs> it was such a jam. Um, but yeah, it's it's good. Anyways,
0: yeah, thank you, Rachel. That's great. I know that I, before we started recording, we were talking about, um,
1: oh yes, COVID nineteen
0: yes, yes. and the impact that it's having on Indigenous people across yes. the country.
1: Yes, something that um, I am more aware of because I have family in Arizona, but essentially the Navajo people on the reservations are having a horrid time right now. Um, They are, if you haven't had an understanding about the reservation out there, um, the fact that uh, the... A lot of the people live in poverty. Um, some of them don't even have running water or electricity. And the fact that they are um, needing medical services for COVID-19 because there is a huge rise in the amount of covid cases that are on the reservation um i will try to provide some links to where you can kind of help with that in my on the well maybe we should do that on the facebook or on not on our facebook but um instagram page yeah we should as well as our website um because it's something i know about but i feel like people on the east coast um don't really know about and of course florida it's not affecting us so why should we care we should care because these are indigenous people and they are suffering more because they I mean they're on a reservation that was sanctioned by you know the US government like you're going to live here and
0: yeah and they straight up know. don't have access to the kinds of resources that we do yeah that your middle class americans have it, so many people yep. don't even have running water i mean they just exactly. ha- don't have access to it so um yeah we can we can find some reputable um, sources to donate to that where the funds will go directly to the yes. people in need um, and we'll post those on the Instagram
1: but yeah yeah so please uh, keep a look out for that um, think about this this is something that we can actually do now um, like I said you can educate yourself but also um, help yeah. So, yeah, that's, a, that's our story. Hopefully it wasn't too depressing. I mean, it, uh, we it's, need to, it's, it's a, important. It is a
0: story. Like, even though the story has a sad ending, the life mm-hmm. of Osceola is a powerful one of, like, a lot of triumph and, like, a lot yes. of – it's still – You know, it's still okay to hear a sad ending and celebrate the incredible things that someone does in their life, even if they don't necessarily um, come out on top at the end. I think, and like we were talking about, you you have to acknowledge that too,
1: you know? I I agree. Um, Something, one more thing. I'm adding all these things at the end, but uh, there are some places in Florida, like if you live in Osceola County, if you go to, there's schools named after him. There are, the statue I talked about, um, just all of these things that have influenced, there's even cities outside of Florida that are named after him. Wow. Wow.
0: That's cool. like there
1: are there, he has it. There's influence and in lots of things that have been named after him because of his legacy. And don't just dismiss it because you're like, oh, well, this is a weird sounding n- name. Like you should know Osceola if you live in Florida. Osceola I mean, had like you great said. Influence. We don't even know.
0: Um, I didn't know what the origin of Micanobi was.
1: Yeah, I didn't either.
0: So um, yeah, there's all these names in, in Florida. I mean, certainly better to have places named after native american leaders than it is to have places named after um confederate losers so uh.
1: yes absolutely (laughs) um yeah so great
0: job rachel i love to hear a ghost story with some with some history
1: behind it me too (laughs) anyways all right well stay informed everybody Same formed on this history and we'll uh we'll see you next time. See you next time. Stop listening. Stop listening. Bye.
0: Bye. All the music for our podcast is provided by The Murmurs and their album Get Swell Soon. You can listen to The Murmurs on Spotify or find them on their Bandcamp page.
1: If you're interested in learning more about us, you can visit our website at peninsulaobscura.com and check out our Instagram at Peninsula Obscura. You can listen to our podcast on most platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts.